Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. Well, God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. Why in ministry are we not as results and data driven? Why uh, shouldn't these great 21st century tools uh, be leveraged and utilized by the church uh, to give glory to God? Thanks for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Gabe is off this week, but not before he recorded a conversation with J.P. DeGans, who we just heard. They talk about what can happen with churches and communities coming together on common ground issues and working for change. As we've been facing issues recently of racism and police brutality, all this on top of our uh, situation with COVID-19 and our already hyper-polarized communities, Gabe thought that talking with JP would inspire us to not just wallow in the misery that we're in or wait for some grand policy to come down from Washington. There's an old concept called subsidiarity, which says in part that issues and challenges are best met at the lowest level possible. So if there's a problem within our community... It should be addressed there. Now, in the case of J.P. DeGans and his organization, Communio, they're helping cities and the churches in them work together to reduce the cases of divorce and with amazing results. Now, before we get to Gabe's conversation with J.P., we have some time to hear a message from a Q conference several years ago from Erwin McManus. Erwin is lead pastor of Mosaic Church in L.A., but he's also a futurist and some would say a bit of an iconoclast. As we look at being agents for positive changes in our cities, we have to start with a simple question. What if? Here's Erwin McManus. What if we move from being a what is to a what if culture? Because the reality is that the church is really not a, a what-if culture. We're a, a what-is culture. We're informed by what is, and our precedent has more power than our e- imagination. I started thinking about the, the different things that I've been involved in throughout my life. And, and sometimes it can look like I'm a serial entrepreneur. Sometimes you can realize that I, um, I'm unemployed a lot. And I've had a, a series number, uh, a number of failures. And some people, like my daughter Mariah, when she was two or three years old, it was so obvious that she was a musician. We were changing channels, and we hit this orchestra. And when we changed the channel again, she started singing back in perfect pitch what the orchestra was playing. And I told my wife, go back, go back. And, and I said, watch. And, and Mariah just started mimicking what was on the television. And so around the age of three, I just started writing songs with her and, and, and telling her, all right, just start singing. And I would just put it to music and, and, and try to connect with her this extraordinary, obvious talent that was given to her uh, somehow in her genetic code. I, I, I admire people who are uh, prodigious, people who, are, who have these extraordinary talents, you know, the, the Mozarts of the worlds and, and the Picassos of the worlds and, and, and uh, the Ryans and the Mariahs of the world. Maybe you're one of those people that you just had such a, this incredible talent from your first breath, but I'm not one of those people. You know, I, I'm one of the people that has been searching for his particular talent all of his life. And I, I told my son, if you don't have any obvious talent, you have the gift of leadership. 
And because there are people, they just become world-class cellists or, or uh, Olympic sprinters. They, they, they are mathematical savants or uh, they have uh, the gift of painting or sculpting. And, and there's a lot of us in this room that in, in one spectrum of analysis would be the no perceivable talent category. And that's why we're leaders is because we then begin to imagine a creation that is beyond our own capacity. And if you're like me, you begin to experience a level of angst because you can see something that's beautiful, but you have never been given the talent or the capacity to execute it or create it. You can know that a story needs to be told, that a world needs to be created, that a future needs to be shaped, that that creates a dissonance between the ideal that, that moves you and motivates you and the reality of your limited gifts, talents, and abilities. And, and if anything, I'm immensely grateful that God decided to make me so untalented so that I would find myself dependent on the gifts and talents, the genius and beauty inside of so many people. I discovered that I'm one of those unemployable people because you can't really figure out what I do, but if you move me from the room, it's, the room stops doing it. And I go, you see, that's what I do. I do that. What is that? I don't know. I just, just move me and you'll see what it is. And what you find is that the church, and not only the church, but culture, societies, nations, empires, are built and unleashed by men and women who are driven mad by an imagination of a world that could exist but lack the personal creative talent to make it happen unless they create this beautiful thing called community. And for me, that's the what if. What if the church became the human incubator for creating the world's best future? What what if we walked away from our security in the what is and began to live in this mystery of the what if? If Mosaic is anything as a community of faith, it is that she has never found her what is. (laughs) There are some things that are incredibly reproducible like mcdonald's and aren't we grateful for that that's a joke and uh, just I'll, I'll cue you when you're supposed to laugh starbucks and there's something strange inside of us that at first we're really grateful there are franchises and then later we learn to despise them because i can tell you i've traveled the world and i've been so grateful when i've seen a mcdonald's in the middle of some obscure country when i've been really really hungry after a while and even the smell of grease is so appetizing There's a sense for a season when Starbucks was spreading around the world where you felt a sense of of connectedness and and, and community and you found your place around the world. Oh, there's a Starbucks. My wife used to mock me and say, every time we pass a Starbucks, you have to say, there's a Starbucks. I don't say that anymore. And there's something inside of you that at first longs for standardization so you can make sense of the world and then something that causes us to despise standardization because it loses its sense of self. And what's happened is that we as the church have chosen to live in this space of standardization and predictability and security. And so we live in this what is reality. And then we talk about things like creating culture, affecting the future, creating the future. And we don't realize that we actually do not have the fundamental core values of a what if because they violate our core values around the what is. When I became a follower of Christ, 
I, I didn't feel like I was properly equipped to believe. Because faith became about what we knew, not what we imagined. What if the church became the epicenter of human creativity and human imagination? I was a futurist for 20 years for companies and organizations. I realized the reason I was a futurist outside of the church is because the church wasn't interested in the future. And when I would work with churches and organizations and denominations, people would come and say, how are you able to have such keen insights in the future? I said, I don't have any keen insights in the future. I just see the present really clearly. Most people are living in the past. And the present terrifies them. What if we created the kind of environment where people didn't have to go outside the church to dream and imagine and create the future? What if we didn't have to go outside of this narrative of Christ to invent and to create this beautiful reality that is known as the future? Most of us have a passive view of the future, a view of the future that it already exists, that it's already determined, that it already is going to be whatever it's going to be, and we wrap that up in our theology and our faith. So people who have a dynamic view of the future, that the future is created by human choices and human action. And for us, we know that it's an integration of this divine act and this human will. What if we were the stewards of God's future? What if the church's principal role was to be agents of change to create a future that is only in the imagination of God right now? I remember speaking at Columbia University, and I was thrown into a debate with a scientist and an ethicist, and the, and the whole conversation is, what can be known? And the scientist says, only empirical information can be known. And the content ethicist said, only human actions can be known. And then it was my turn, and I said, I have to admit, I know something I'm not supposed to know. See, because as a follower of Christ, what I know are things that we shouldn't know, but you can know things you're not supposed to know because we humans are designed for multiple layers of knowing. I love what Jesus said to Peter. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you got this one right, Peter, and that's how I know you cheated. Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. I love this window into the potential of human action and interaction. That God would whisper into the human imagination a picture of what he wants to create, and that we are creators of the invisible when we choose to act on what God has spoken and materialize that which is only known in eternity. God bless. A great talk there from Erwin McManus on this edition of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Again, I'm Paul Perot, and you know, once you entertain the question of what if, then you're more open to assess what it takes to get there. And now sometimes it can be a matter of you doing something yourself, but more often with the larger issues. It takes collaboration and a framework to make things happen. To show you what can happen when communities come together, Gabe recently sat down with J.P. DeGantz of Communio. Let's listen in on that discussion. JP, it is great to get to have this conversation with you and so excited about the work you guys are doing and more people hearing about it. Yeah, Gabe, excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being a part of Q this year. I mean, what an incredible time that was, right? To just, you know, have to create this virtual event. And you were one of the people who came to our location and was able to be a part of that broadcast as we talked about this idea of overcoming polarization in our cities. And I I don't think either one of us could have imagined we would be in the place we are this week 
and the relevance of that topic, right? Oh, amen to that. It has been a, a real challenging time as, as you look at, look across uh, the country. And I, and I think there's never been a more important time for us to really invest deeply in relationships yeah. uh, with each other. And, and this is why talking with you this week, I think is so helpful, even though, even though a lot of the focus of the network you've been building in Jacksonville and now other cities are doing, but there's been a movement for years of faith leaders, city leaders, people partnering together to try to solve problems. And I think this to me is part of the vision of the Q community is that we, we want to help inspire that. We want to help educate and mobilize people to come together, work together for the common good, for the good of everybody, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And it's in weeks like this where we, we see how much you know certain cities are going through just awful times. And the cities who can walk through this well are the ones where there's probably relationship in place between the cities, police departments, the mayor, church leaders, the faith community. And that's a lot of what I see you've been doing in your work is you've been trying to help bring people together, find common cause, and then start to work on solving problems together. And in your experience, just take us to the backstory, JP, of just how did this even start for you to begin this and to begin this organization to do this? Yeah, Gabe, you know, it started, I came to Washington, like a lot of folks thinking that the best way to fix the, the country was to think and work in public policy. And it just became so uh, clear over the years that uh, so many of the greatest challenges are happening really close to home, uh, in, frequently in the home. And I had uh, about 12 years ago in my own family, my sister's family failed and she was in a pretty bad spot. She asked my wife and I uh, to take in her four kids uh, and, and we did so. We, they were 10, 11, 14 and 15. And uh, we, our, our kiddos were, were really young at the time. And uh, I really saw you know, what happens when, when kids lose a mom, lose a dad on a daily basis and the hurt that comes from it. So between those two things on a personal and a professional level, decided, uh, you know, I felt, felt God uh, stirring in my heart to, to use a lot of the things I had learned in the public policy world, but to work and serve the church and, and uh, to pour into relationships and strengthen, uh, strengthen families. Yeah, so marriage has become a central focus on your project and, and the initial project you did in Jacksonville, where it became a pilot that now so many leaders around the country are looking at and going, this is amazing. How did you accomplish this? I want to I get into what you've accomplished First, I want people to hear the results. What did you see happen through this network of faith leaders and city leaders working together? What did you see happen to marriages in your city? We saw more than 50 churches get together and really serve not only their membership, but their whole community. The divorce rate across Duval County dropped 24% in three years. Uh, We had uh, actually through those churches, helped those churches move 58,912 people through four-hour or longer couples relationship education. And then we supported those churches in delivering over 28 million digital impressions of invitation and encouragement to folks who were at risk in the community. Wow. Did you say 58,000 went through the training? 58,912 went through uh, four hours or longer couples relationship education. It's a, really a, an amazing number. We talk about so many different issues around Q, you know, current issues, things that seem to be brimming at the top. And, and this week, of course, is no different because racism and 
you know, the topics of white supremacy or over-policing and so many different, you know, our criminal justice system. There's so many topics we tend to talk about. Marriage is one of those that feels like more of a soft topic, you know. It's one of those topics that's kind of like you're never going to see it in the news. Tonight you turn on the news, you're not going to hear about a divorce that took place. And yet when you look at our social institutions and you look at how God created culture and how he created this institution as the first institution, right, marriage, that this would be the building blocks, this would be the foundation for how we would actually live a flourishing life, how we would actually end up having families and children and a heritage. That's why we're talking about marriage, because it's never going to be the front line, you know, headline of the news, but it's so critical. And the fact that you took so many families and couples through training, you know what I love about this, Rebecca and I, when we adopted our daughter through the adoption program, you know, one of the requirements was that we go through, I think it was 12 hours of training where we had to learn how to be good parents. And I remember Rebecca and I, we have three teenagers at this point. This is the first time we've gone through a training and we're both looking at each other like, why did they not require us to have this training before we had our first child? Like we've, we've learned so much and there's so much to be gained from like these insights. And, and so I know in your four hour trainings, that's what you're doing. You're, you're giving people some, it can feel like basics, but most people just get married. They might have a premarital counseling session or two or a pastor who kind of, you know, gives them a few advice early on. But revisiting that in a marriage can be crucial to actually keeping marriages alive. Is that what you guys are finding? Absolutely. The, the research shows that, that an eight-hour dose of relationship education, skills-based relationship education, leads to significant uh, improvements in relationship quality and for a lot of couples and a lot of people think that success in a relationship, happiness in the relationship is just a matter of chance uh, or a matter of um, fate. But the reality is, is, is the skills necessary to have a great relationship are known, they're knowable, they're learnable. And there's ways that churches can actually teach those skills through ministry. Yeah, it's not all about emotion. It's not always about feeling a certain way. It's about having practices, disciplines, tools, and, and ways in which you approach conflict. So one of the things I love about you, JP, and we, we, this is a big part of how we try to approach everything at Q, is it's very data-driven. I mean, you, you've looked at the data, you understand the data, and that's driven you towards some of the solutions that you're creating. Can you tell us a little bit about why you rely so heavily on data, why that's been so important? Yeah, I, I came also from the private sector, worked for a company that was really uh, uh, focused on results and, uh, and intent was nice, but results were what mattered, like a lot of, a lot of businesses. And there we used data heavily. I, I had in my, in my life in public policy had seen the use of, of uh, uh, digital marketing, particularly uh, micro-targeting for uh, uh, understanding audiences and, and all of that really influenced me to, to say, well, why aren't these, why in ministry are we not as results and data driven? Why uh, shouldn't these great 21st century tools uh, be leveraged and utilized by the church uh, to give glory to God? Uh, so back in 2015, when we were developing uh, this initiative, uh, we were the first to to begin using and applying data, big data around around uh, micro-targeting into ministry so that you can go into a community and provide healing and help to those who most need it right around the church's campus. I know you've learned a ton in all of your experience, and then you launched this in Jacksonville. You bring all these churches together. You guys do this campaign. You see the divorce rate drop by 24% in your city. 
right? Is that, mm-hmm. is that yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like for those churches to see the power of doing something together, the power of unity, the power of saying, hey, let's work together and solve this problem? Because doesn't that start to create some confidence that what else could we solve together if we started yeah. networking and, and leaning into one another? It definitely fired up pastors in, in the county. And interestingly, you know, we didn't totally begin the project by uh, inviting pastors to be part of a larger coalition. We, we began the initiative to directly serve each individual pastor in each individual church in their own capacity. And, and what that ended up doing for us was once they started serving their people well and seeing change, then we started to let them know, you know what, th- there's a lot of churches doing this. And we, we would start to pull together meetings of, of pastors and uh, to do lessons learned and and share what they were learning. And, and it just, uh, there was a, a, a heck of a lot of excitement uh, that started to build from those conversations uh, and seeing uh, seeing the momentum, seeing the divorce rate uh, drop uh, 17% after the first uh, 12 months of full, a full distribution and then dropping uh, and getting to, to 28% decline uh, at the end of the second full year of, of distribution. So uh, it definitely created a win psychology in, in the county. Yeah. And so now since that story happened in Jacksonville, uh, now more and more cities, of course, have said, hey, we're interested in applying what you've been doing in your city. So talk a little bit about what you've been doing since that story developed in Jacksonville. And we have many leaders on this podcast and in this community who are leading in their cities. And some of them are pastors. Many of them are are just leaders who really care about impacting their community. And I want you to tell them more too, not only what you've been up to, but the ways in which now you're trying to connect with other cities so that they can start to learn more and get involved. Yeah. So, so we distilled a, a, a replicable framework out of our work in Jacksonville. A lot of lessons learned you mentioned. We call it a data-informed full circle relationship ministry. And the idea is to use relationship ministry as the front porch for the church into the community to invite, invite folks in. We realized that churches were really effective at finding the unchurched when they when they could really speak to a felt need. And so now we've started new citywide initiatives with that model in Billings, Montana, Yellowstone uh, County, and the Permian Basin, Midland and Odessa. We have uh, the two largest citywide initiatives that we've just gotten underway. Fort Worth um, uh, and, and some of the largest churches in Fort Worth are now participating. And then the newest one is in the Mile High City in Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado. And so there, if anybody who's listening to this is from one of those cities, there's uh, philanthropists have sponsored and are providing resources to churches to do real outreach and evangelization uh, into their communities around strengthening relationships. So I'd encourage you to, to get in touch with us. And then we're also working with individual churches, Gabe, coast to coast. Uh, we've got uh, individual uh, large uh, church partners like uh, like LCBC, which is the largest evangelical church in in Pennsylvania with 20,000 or so uh, weekly attendees to small, uh, small churches or some much smaller churches like uh, a Berean Bible in, in Spokane and, and um, uh, which is closer to the 200 uh, person weekly attendees. So we've developed a model that can be used in churches of almost any size. So they can, uh, they can, a church who's interested in working on the marriages in their particular church or their neighborhood. They, it doesn't necessarily have to be an entire citywide movement to connect with you guys. They could, and, and if they're not in one of those cities, you just want them to reach out and get connected with you. That's right. We took the model and have created both a replicable citywide model 
that philanthropists can sponsor and also a, a, a model that if you're a city leader and you've got uh, a coalition of, of pastors already, we can also work with you on providing our lessons learned into the, into the city and a model there. And then we also just started having individual pastors say, hey, I, I don't have a coalition and, and, and I don't know if I'd be able to build that, but I'd love you guys to help us out. And so then we also have that individual church model where we work with and consult directly with an individual church. And we, we have a, a great ministry team of consultants with more than 20 years of, of real practical ministry experience who, and then a real training on our data-informed approach uh, to, to help churches apply these cool, uh, real cutting-edge technologies and then also cutting-edge ministry strategies to renew relationship health. Well, I would encourage people to check out your website, communio.org. It's C-O-M-M-U-N-I-O, communio.org, because there, there's also all kinds of resources. I mean, you guys have date night suggestions, and you have a whole digital toolbox where people can do things where they can learn more about how to engage uh, with this movement. And so for those of you listening, and maybe you're not a pastor or a leader of a church, but you're looking for some hope this week that, man— People can work together and solve problems and big problems. I hope this just gives you that little spark of hope that that there are these kinds of people out there who are leading in this kingdom kind of way, and there's these stories. And the more we can tell these stories, the more we can bring hope and encourage people that we can solve some of these bigger problems, but it's definitely going to take working together. We can't do it alone. And that was Gabe's conversation with J.P. DeGans of Communio, showing you what can happen when churches and communities come together to deal with an important issue in that community. Now, maybe you see a need in your community. How do you start to collaborate and lead? Now, there are many ways. Uh, One way is to host a Q Commons event this October 29th, Lord willing, or should I say coronavirus willing. But that way, you can invite and engage leaders and interested persons in your community to look at the needs of your city, to ask the what-if question together, and then maybe start collaborating. Learn more about hosting a Q Commons event at qcommons.com. That's Q Ideas for this week. I'm Paul Pruo from Faith Radio. Again, thanks for listening. Hope you join us next time. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.